Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Friendly Ex-Muslim Podcast. Today we have a very, very somber topic, something that's quite serious, which has to do with the current events in the world. As most of you know, anyone that's in the scene has heard in the news about what's been going on in Iran. Um, you know what's happened and uh, how it's become quite big now because of an event that happened. And we're going to talk about that event. Um, most of you already know what I'm talking about, which is Mahsa Amini. And so I'm joined today by a fr someone I would call a friend, someone I spoke to on his podcast before. He has his own podcast. He's an Iranian blogger, also a YouTuber, and he has a podcast as well. And he speaks on topics regarding this and, and in the Middle East, uh, the MENA region. He's translated a bunch of books. And uh, I very much support him and what he's doing as well. So this is the first time uh, we have uh, um, Brother Ash or Ashkan here on the channel. And uh, just going to say hi. So how's it going? Thank you, Abdullah. Nice to finally be doing this. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, you're most welcome. So as, as everyone can see, you're anonymous. You're trying to keep your... Um, your profile low, which is which makes total perfect sense. Right. Totally understand, you know, the risks that come with this activism, um, you know. So it is what it is, but I, I appreciate what you're doing. So let's let's get into it. So we have some slides you made. Should we just jump into the slides then? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think we can. Yeah, let's let's do so. Okay, sounds good. All right. So the first thing we're gonna I want to talk about is, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Take, take okay, it so um, for anyone who has been following what's happening around, um, you know, in, uh, when it comes to news, or even if you're casually, you know, tuning into the radio uh, and you're going to work, um, or even you're checking some recent trends on Twitter or TikTok, you have, uh, I, I, I think so, I think it's probable that you have um, came across the hashtag Mahsa Amini or Iran protests. And so this is really important and marks really a significant turn, both in terms of religion and politics, and also kind of like a, an important turn in secularization of Iran and what is happening. And I think it's important for us to talk about this more, because uh, right now as we're talking, the internet access has been limited for Iranians inside the country, um, they do not have access to the media or the news, and we have to help them amplify their voices and talk about what's going on. So I, I thought that maybe we should talk a bit about Iran and the morality police, maybe mm. a quick history of how, you know, we ended up in this situation. Because oftentimes when I'm online, I see that it's either two extremes, unfortunately. It's either some measure of going all the way to the right unfortunately and i have in mind like uh, you know nonsense by the likes of like spencer and uh people like that or we have people who go on the other edge and it's like no it, it doesn't have anything to do with women's rights and this is about financial situation that the people have and the economic situation so my hope is to just move through this and to let you guys know what is happening and uh, why we should care and why this is important for us to talk about this. So let me just jump in. So before we jump in, I just want to say one sure. thing. Um, I want to say that the reason, one of the things that's so important about this topic is because we often hear 
this narrative about freedom of choice, freedom of religion, Islamist feminism, stuff like that. And we also, um, we, we don't necessarily realize, and this is very personal to me too. And the way it's personal to me too is, the, to me, this is one of the biggest examples of how um, we don't have freedom of religion in the world, how many liberals right. that live in the West, they don't realize just how difficult it can be for Muslim women. They don't realize that if they're living in Canada or America, they might be a Muslim convert, even some of them. And they think that like you guys are just talking trash about religion for no reason. They think that you, you know, there's no good reason to talk about this stuff. Active, your activism is pointless. You have no life. But the fact is that the people suffer, women suffering, even, I mean, we can see even dying because of the lack of um, dignity accorded to them in some parts of the world. So this is a good example of how if Islam is not held under check, this is the type of world experience and this is what happens in the world, right? And right. One, one woman that comes to mind that I've been actually, I've been sharing her content or her social media presence is Masih Al-Najad. Uh, she's an Iranian journalist mm -hmm. and activist. She's a founder of White Wednesdays. She's actually, she's been on the radio in Canada. I've heard her on the radio speaking about how this, this is, be, you know, she's been struggling to make, make awareness of this issue, this issue of women having to cover the morality police, the issues that, that are happening and other that, that Muslims in the West are blind to, right? They don't understand that right. when, when we talk about Islam, we are talking about the political reality that many women are suffering under it's, and men too. It's not just some abstract thing that we're just talking about. It's actually really affecting people's lives. So this is why it's important to me to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, and also it's, it's really important for people to notice that uh, Muslims even are protesting on the streets. There are Muslim reformers who are supporting this movement. So in, in your, yeah, I acknowledge that there are Islamic connections to these ideas. It's just clear, it's just obvious. But religion is just a natural phenomenon. And it is bound by uh, sociological, cultural, and political situations of um, the, the region. So of obviously the kind of Islam that you get in the Middle East is, he is heaps and bounds away from the kind of Islam that you see people like in Los Angeles have. Like if you go to the Iranian diaspora in Los Angeles, which is called Tehran Jales, um, and, and you're just walking there as, as I often do, uh, what happens is uh, you see different people, different groups of people who call themselves Muslims, but they don't believe in hijab or um, they, they are like, okay, we're fine with drinking. Pork is a bit different I, for some reason. I, I have never been able to figure that out. But for some reason, that's like the last thing that people let go of. Um, now, for me personally, I wasn't, my, my deconversion wasn't really dramatic and stuff like that. So, but the point is, the reality that is happening to them is, fine, you're a reformer, be a reformer. Don't kill the people in the streets because they don't have hijab or because they want to have the choice over their own bodily economy, autonomy, you know. Um, give them the right to choose what they want to wear, uh, wear and what they believe and how they want to express themselves. Sure, be a non-Muslim. 
But again, don't force everyone to remove their hijab. All we're talking about is a choice, is a simple choice. So this is really not even remotely relevant to the idea of trash talking Islam or stuff like that. There are plenty Muslim countries and Islamic countries that they do not even get close to having mandatory hijab. Now, I'm not saying they are uh, like human rights heavens. Obviously, there's a long, long, long way for us to go. But uh, if we can't talk about these honestly, there is no other way for us to make progress. And as painful as some of these might be, be it criticism of secular positions or religious positions, we have no choice but to engage in some of them. Uh, and it seems to me that this particular uh, thing is really important. Why? Because, okay, about imagine your average uh, uh, theocracy, right? What, what ends up happening in the case of somewhere like Iran, where divine law or religious law is the same as a state law. It's, they are basically the same. Religion and politics are the same. What ends up happening is, the state is so powerful because of this concentration of power and media. So what you end up hearing about and talking about is what they talk about, not us. And I think what happened right now and the reason that it's important is because it really blew up to such an extent that people can finally understand that no, people of Iran are not okay with this. You can't say you can't falsify culture and say hijab is part of the culture of Iran. It's, that's just not true. Mm -hmm. Just go yeah. on Google and do a quick search, um, Iran before 1979 Islamic revolution. And you can right. see people with hijab, without hijab in the streets. And as you can see in, the re in this very image that I'm sharing with you on these slides, you can see people who have hijab and who, people who do not have hijab. And and I will be talking about this more, but yeah, this is really important to talk about. Yeah, I, I feel like the hijab thing is tricky because it has become in some places part of the culture. Um, even a, among Canadian Muslims and American Muslims, they they have this culture now of wearing hijab and it's become something more than just a religious scarf, right? It's, it's become like a cultural identity. It's become like it wasn't, but it, it evolved, right. right? That thing evolved, but... Many of them don't realize, you know, and this is my anti-theist hat coming back on, that the purpose of the hijab originally, what, where it came from, why it was instituted was, was it was about Muhammad and his wives and other men not seeing his wives, right? It, it was pretty, pretty much yeah. for him, right? And, and so, again, my anti-theist hat is coming on when I, when I hear that the Muslims that are against mandatory hijab, I feel like there's some cognitive dissonance going on there. But I support them and I agree with them. And I definitely want more Muslims like that, that are free freedom, you know, pro-freedom of hijab. The problem is right. those Muslims themselves are demonized. That, that, that is correct. Right? Yeah. So, so for example, I, I typically talk to reformers. I, I have debates with them um, and they are much more respectful. You know, they engage uh, much, much listening, calling and stuff like that. Um, but, the, but the point is, uh, at the end of the day, um, as a naturalist, as an atheist, I think that this is just a natural phenomenon. It's different faces of falsehoods. Like, they are false. I, so even a reformed falsehood is just false to me. So uh, the, the reasons that I support them 
uh, are first it's because of the pragmatic considerations. What kind of society do we want to? I mean, there comes a time when I have to go beyond my own epistemology and my own knowledge borders because there are other people who are living here also. And they don't believe the same thing I do. So it, that that's one reason. Another reason is because, as you mentioned, now this is really important, you mentioned these reformers being demonized, unfortunately, by both sides, uh, which is kind of sometimes disheartening, really disheartening. So some people say you're engaging double think, you know, or mm -hmm. you're just lowering your standards on one side and then increasing it on the other side, all of these things. And, and I, and I, see the truth in that like objectively speaking as a naturalist as an atheist yeah there, there is no true islam mm -hmm. yes um, yes exactly yeah there are different versions of islam it's, it's just like having a group you know and this group is influenced by uh, political ge geographical you know uh, conditions and it will be shaping and evolving as time goes by this there is nothing special about islam Nothing. It doesn't have a new message. It, it's not superior to other religions or not. It's not more violent. It's not less violent, but it has violent elements. But it, but it, uh, so it, it can be both. We don't have to say that because something is false, it's also violent and we should be scared of it. Of course not. But the fact that it is false doesn't, should not stop us from accepting the reality that people who are in the streets and are victims of these inhumane practices, basically killing people because a few strands of hair are out and they haven't been able to cover their head, is not correct. Now, uh, th that should be the, like the minimum moral requirement for people. Forget about uh, atheism, theism, Islam, and or not. The, the main problem with Islam coming to center is because it provides a really significant and easy way to conceal all of this for some greater good. You know, this reminds me of Peter Millikan, this Oxford philosopher who, who says, if you have false beliefs about the universe, if you really believe that you have an eternal soul that can either bask in eternal bliss or burn in hell, then you think you're doing people a favor if you torture them to make them believe. So we have to double check these beliefs and, and i think this is something that we have to uh, talk about more well said um okay great should i just jump in yeah let's get into slides yeah okay so the first thing i want to do is to kind of provide a really quick uh and this is going to be really quick and crude version of the history of women's rights and what is happening right now so iran didn't have a constitution and what happened was there was a revolution, and with that revolution, um, you know, around 1910, uh, women began to engage in writing columns uh, and for newspapers, different periodicals appear for women, and one of the mo most famous ones is the Board of Governors of Association of Patriotic Women. Uh, this is really important. And uh, the, the domain of what they're talking about is kind of not that significant. The issues they're talking about is limited. The flow of information is extremely narrow, but it signals a really important uh, entry point for women's rights in Iran. And what ends up happening is around 
1930s or so that the government experiences a transition of power, they kind of fade away. But before that happens, ideas like education and freedom of movement take really the center, central stage. So if you, if you uh, remember uh, the so-called, I, I have to call this the so-called and emphasize this, the so-called reforms uh, that uh, MBS is doing in Saudi Arabia, like he basically imprisoned every possible women's rights activist and then jumped in front of them and said, look, I'm making these reforms. And it's like, no, man, people were asking for these reforms for decades. Uh, and it's you, you shouldn't be celebrated uh, because your standards are so low that you regard affording basic rights to people as this huge achievement. So uh, what, what you should consider is that in that time, uh, Iranian women were also limited, not being able to go out of the house without someone accompanying you. It was considered to be improper and stuff like that. Women's education was really a challenge. But what happens is that there is this transition of power to someone which is called Reza Shah. And by the way, I don't know why Iranians and even English scholars, like historians, are really insistent on using the word Shah. So Shah just means king, okay? Make it simplify for yourself. Uh, so this king, Reza, comes to power and does something really radical. He goes to travel to different countries and it's like, oh, women are all over the public atmosphere. They're working, they're engaging. And so he comes back and he's ruling with an iron fist. And this is really important as we go forward to keep in your mind. And he says, you know what? I have this law in 1936 that you have to remove your hijab, that you're not allowed to walk out and have your hijab on. And this causes an opera, right? Because you're forcing people. Again, it doesn't matter which way you're forcing people. The choice is important. So it ended up being like radically shifting uh, the landscape and industrialization happened in Iran. It's a mixed, bittersweet kind of thing. Um, it's really controversial to talk about him historically. All you have to know is that he's ruling with an iron fist and comes out and has this mandatory unveil unveiling of women, which doesn't last, obviously. Now, what happens is uh, we move to his son, which this person is the, is the person that you hear most often about when talked uh, about Iran's history. So he comes into power and the moment he comes into power, women's rights come back. Now, a political situation is still not as free, it's not as liberal. Uh, it doesn't afford people to kind of go against um, the Shah and the king and talk about what they want. By the way, for Reza Shah, his father, that we've also uh, I've also talked about, he also is, he doesn't care about the parliament, wants to basically, he, he just says this should be done and doesn't care about anything else. But when Mohammad Reza comes, he has ties to like US, it's, Iran is more westernized, you know, but socially the freedoms are there. So one of the important things that happens is women's rights organizations uh, come into the field, 1955 and 1956. And what ends up happening is there is a national referendum in 1963, and there's a six-point reform program, which we know it in history as White Revolution. 
And it's under the influence and social changes of women like Mehrangi's Dolat Shahi, as you can see here, who women's rights activists and others uh, who helped, you know, with the awareness and raising the level of discourse and stuff like that. So these changes happened. And finally, they get the right to vote and stand for public offices, which is pretty late if you think about it. Like if you want, if you're doing a comparative study and you're comparing like Iran with other countries, that's pretty late. Now, this is really significant. Keisha Ali, who's a scholar and writes about slavery and Islam, has this really fantastic book on slavery and Islam and women's rights, uh, which you have to read if, if you care about these issues. And the main point that the scholars take away from this is how late Islamic countries and clerics have been able to see that what they are doing is wrong. What, what ends up happening is they do the same thing over and over again, and they refuse to listen. And when we show them, oh, this is the correct way, and you have to reform, and they are like, oh, we knew this already. Don't you know? There is this verse in the Quran, or there is this hadith that I can give you, and it tells you, oh, we knew this all along. It's like, come on. <laughs> can, can't we increase the level of the standards a bit? So um, I just have to mention these a few things because it, uh, this is really important. Now, in the same period, this is before the Islamic Revolution, five female judges are appointed to the judiciary system, including the future Nobel Prize winner, Shirin Abadi, and they are elected to town, city, and uh, county councils. Not the, not the thing is, this even goes on to uh, include any a bunch of other things like the scope is really high in in that uh, period what happens is that the shah's sister one of shah's sister and iranian women working in these organizations kind of managed to surprisingly pass the protection law of 1975 which is really magnificent equal rights in marriage and divorce for women enhanced women rights in child custody and increase the minimum age of marriage now if you don't know this you have to know that child marriage is a big problem in certain areas where we are dealing with theocracies. Now, there are certain areas also in Iran that we are dealing with this very real problem. So it increases the age of marriage to 18 for women and 20 for men. And this is really important. These changes practically have eliminated polygamy to this day. Now, in Iran, you get some people who are practicing polygamy. But it's so rare and people judge you socially really hard if you want to engage in this. And you know, Shias are kind of notorious or maybe famous for having temporary marriages. It's kind of like religious excuse to do whatever you want and then say, yeah, I, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I have a wife, but I've slept with like 16 other people, but that's fine because I have this pretense that keeps me floating in my religion. So this is really important because when this happened, if you if we can see the amount of change, it's so significant for hardliners. It's so significant that you're not able to practice Islamic law, for example, and telling people, oh, you have a 10-year-old daughter where well, she should be married. And it's like, no, she's too young to, to get married right now. And that is not correct. So this was really a huge challenge. Now, what ended up happening is that there was a revolution. I don't get to all the 
details here, but people were really frustrated politically and there had to be social and economic reforms. They wanted more independence from Western influences. So here it's just really controversial. So I'm just going to give you like a, a mishmash of different opinions. The dominant opinion is that the revolution was hijacked. So people wanted to have the revolution, you know, people with hijab, without hijab, Muslims, Christians, Jews, they were all supporting the revolution, but they didn't want an Islamic revolution that happened. And it was hijacked by the clerics. Now, one of the really sad things about this, that it really is disheartening when I think about it. Like every time I go back to people like Ervant Abrahamian, which is this fantastic historian, um, and I see these images of women with hijab and without hijab marching together in the streets for the revolution. It really breaks my heart to see their rights being taken away from them after the revolution. So what ends up happening is they say, after the revolution, they say, look, uh, mandatory hijab is just a rumor. It's not going to happen. You have these different clerics showing up and saying, don't panic. This isn't going to happen. And then there are protests and the law is kind of delayed, but it ultimately happens. So mandatory law gets passed into the law. And after 1979, basically, we have, again, returned to stoning, polygamy, child marriage, you know, no real position in high legal and official positions for women, and extreme sensitivity when it comes to gender segregation and the morality police. Now, before moving forward, is, is anything here that you want to kind of talk about or should I move to the morality police? No, <clears throat> that's, that's, I mean, this is all good stuff. Um, I want to ask you how, so from my understanding, the common sentiment right now in Iran before this right. happened is that things have been declining in terms of the religiosity, right? Do you want to talk about that? Right. Then, or should we talk about that now? Yeah, I, I think it's good to talk about this now. So okay. Uh, let me tell you what is what is kind of happening in Iran is kind of similar if you look at secular studies. Now, secular studies are done by Phil Zuckerman in Pitzer College. So have a look at his books. They are fantastic. But they have been more recent books on Egyptian atheists and on ex-Muslims, Iranian and, you know, Saudi ex-Muslims. If you look up online, there are great books. Um, Brill Publishing has a bunch of books on it, too. Uh, and then if you kind of compare them to the experience of kind of uh, ex-Christians, you know, or ex-Mormons in the more conservative areas, let's say, you know, the Bible Belt, when you compare these, what what, it hap what happens is, is relatively the same. So what I mean is this, there seems to be a kind of um, two arrows of a strategy that people utilize. One is they have this social mask and they engage in religious practices when their relatives are around or mom comes to visit, you know. It's like going to, uh, one of these comedians calls it, I go to the church, but uh, like gym, kind of religiously. And it's it's the same. Yeah. So, uh, so it, the, the social image that people give you is really different in the streets and stuff. And when you get to know them in public places. But the, what what is ended up happening in Iran, which is really significant, is because Iran has this highly educated population, and has managed to get its hands on technology, 
um, has found a way to kind of extend the private space that they have been able to carve out for themselves in the safety of their home or their close friends or usually if you're like students in um, a university you just go out to like a garden a private garden or somewhere and you have your parties together you know away from the morality police so people kind of manage to increase these as the scope of that so then you have people like who have loose hijab who kind of care about hijab but not really and then you have people who just never go to mosque but they or the friday prayer so to be honest mosques and friday prayer in iran are just not something that your, your average muslim is going to it's not happening even if they are fully committed muslims they they are not going to <laughs> join like friday prayer or being or going to the mosque so they ended up kind of suffocating uh, humanities and they said you know what the reason this is happening is because what they call they call this a soft war a soft warfare meaning that it's kind of like, like the cold war you know they are like oh the western countries are trying to corrupt our systems of morality and family values and the cornerstones is the values and marriage if this seems familiar to you it's because it's the same thing that the conservatives in texas and bible belt use to justify their limitations and this is really funny if you think about it uh, they hate each other's guts but they use the same logic for their own agendas which is kind of weird yeah um and and another thing happened it was kind of people kind of grew suspicious of the polls that have been done in iran so if people are following like secular sociology and studies, you know that people right now know that the statistics on atheists in China is not accurate. It's just not accurate. It's much lower. Um, and then the same thing kind of happened with Iran. People were like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem to be correct. More and more people are not going to the mosques. They don't care about hijab, you know, they don't care about Ramadan. So you have people who kind of are arrested by the morality police because they're eating something during the Ramadan, you know. So so there's, there's quite a conflict there because you have this morality police. I mean, I don't know why I'm putting right. morality police. And then you have the fact that the common, the common people are not religious. Yeah, right. Exactly. So there's uh, a but, clash, but, right? Yeah, it, it is a clash. But you know what? It, it seems that it is a clash that has been won on the humanity side. like, And it's just a brute force that they are using mm -hmm. to kind of overturn the situation. And it's not working. Every right. time they appeal to brute force, it just ends up backfiring. Mm -hmm. Another generation comes up and we have another protest, waves of protest. 2009, again, this happened. Going back to, from 2009, we have other waves. So they are even kind of losing their legitimacy when it comes to different generations. Now, one other point that I have to mention is that there have been different polls taken by people uh, from uh, in, within Iranians about their beliefs. And it seems that the nuns are kind of like uh, close to 50. I can't remember the exact percentage, but 50 or 60 percent, something like that, which is quite different from what the state is giving you. Uh, but it's hard to come up with, you know, corroborated um, experiments and studies that kind of help us to really narrow down on the main uh, 
numbers. But hopefully I have this paper, which hopefully will be out in future. And this will be the first ever sociological analysis of Iranian atheists. You know, what they believe, what kind of label they have for themselves. Do they support reformers or not? And what are their views about morality, meaning of life and stuff like that? Uh, but yeah, it's it's just generally moving towards secularization as we're moving forward more and more. Awesome. That's great news. Um, okay, so we come to kind of like the main thing, which is like the morality police. Now, for some reason, I don't get the correct uh, font color here. So I don't know what should I do. Should I just talk about them regardless of what's written? Yeah, here? This, yeah I can still read it. It's enjoining okay. good and forbidding evil. Yeah, there's this thing called enjoining good and forbidding evil, which basically means that you have to um, kind of tell people, uh, encourage them to do good things. Now, good things should mean quotation. This just means good as considered They're by saying. the morality yeah. police, yeah, uh, to be good. And also forbidding evil. It's like if you do something, doing something wrong, you have to tell them not to do it. Now, these are two important duties which are imposed by God. They believe I'm, I'm giving you their ideas and what they think about. And Islam as revealed in the Quran and the Hadith. So what ends up happening kind of in, in their own minds is, look, we're doing God's work, uh, but they have this interpretation. And it started kind of fairly just with uh, kind of telling people, okay, just, just telling people, nothing physical, just orally speaking, letting people know that, oh, look, you have loose hair and you haven't covered your head correctly. So you should kind of do that and move on. But after that, it didn't work. These kinds of things stopped working. And they ended up getting more systematized and getting these huge budgets. When I'm telling you huge, it means that you can use the budget of something like the morality police to fund like MIT or Stanford for two or three years. They get huge funding from the government. So they basically walk around and tell people, look, uh, you shouldn't be wearing this, 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 or that. And it's getting more stringent and stringent for people, uh, which is really bad for people who are there. It's extremely horrific. So mm -hmm. let me just give you a really uh, rundown, quick rundown. It, this was established in 2005, the morality police, the so-called morality police. And but the, but the thing is, even before that, it was under the IRGC, what is called the Revolutionary Guard. They did some informal, you know, uh, policing around, but it kind of just got formalized. And then, depending on who was in power, it would either get super um, stringent if the guy was a crazy hardliner, like the current Ibrahim Raisi. Or if he was like less of a hard runner, like the previous idiot, um, Rouhani, it would have been less stringent. But this is really stringent right now, what we're seeing. So it has been going on. And what they do is they walk around and they say, for example, oh, you are violating the dress code. You have loose hijab. You have, you are, you, your dresses are short to women. Or they say you have too much makeup on. Mm. Or you have, and, and your makeup can be seen by others, which is <laughs> ridiculous. So and go ahead. In, in Saudi, they call these a mutawa, right? 
Exactly. That's the next thing that I wanted to say. If people have looked and read uh, works by, for example, Ali Rizvi, mm-hmm. and they know that he talks about this in his book, The Atheist Muslim. And he says, look, we had this too. They would walk around in the old days that they were cassette tapes. And, you know, people would come out to meet in this shopping mall, he says in his books. And in his book, and he says how they would be hanging around to kind of ask people, okay, you're walking with this, uh, with these women or girls, what's your relation to them? Because if you're not kind of blood bounded, as they understand it in the religious tradition, it's that, oh, you're not allowed to be together. It's forbidden. It's against the law. Mm-hmm. You and... know, the funny thing is um, in university when... <laughs> kind of embarrassing we used to go and ask people to come pray and one time we knocked on this guy's door right this this uh i guess it doesn't matter but he was pakistani right right (laughs) and he was with a girl right right (laughs) and we were like looking at each other like he's like what is going on he's like she's my cousin i was thinking but she's still haram, like she's still haram for you. But I was just like, she was with, she's my cousin. And I remember another example of that when this guy was sitting on the bus with it again, uh, with a woman. It was a Muslim guy, I was Muslim too. And I was like, you know, it's kind of like elephant in the room. Why are you sitting with a woman? Because you know, we see each other and we're both religious. And then he's like, she's my, I, he said something like that. She's my cousin. Oh, my mom told me to watch her. I take she's a relative of mine or something. <laughs> Yeah, this, this actually happens quite often with Shias as well. It's like, oh, yeah. she's my cousin. It's like, okay. <laughs> so, so the thing is, I want to kind of um, kind of stop here for a second, which is okay. this whole idea of this, um, so this enjoying good and forbid evil thing. I've heard this all the time as a Muslim. I used to even tell people this myself that, you right. know, this is a job, right? Like um, right. to be encouraging people to do good and to stop people. And, you know, the Hadith says, the Sunni Hadith, I don't know if Shias have the same Hadith, that you either you stop them with your speech or you stop them with your hand. Basically, you can right. even fight them, right? Like to stop them, right? Like you, you, not saying you go around punching people, right? And this becomes a bit of a problem because in a non-Muslim society, it's it's kind of like, problematic that you you know you can't really implement islam but you can still encourage people to go to the mosque and stuff like that so it becomes this kind of like right. i don't know what you want to call it, this virus that people are like spreading it to everyone <laughs> else they're like yeah you should do this and you should do that and, and it, it's almost like being self-righteous like yeah, you're, yeah. you're sitting on yeah, the, you're like, right. you know on top of this horse high horse telling people don't do that don't do that you know yeah and, and it, coming from people who have no more authority on these subjects and no more knowledge on these subjects than others it's yeah, just ridiculous. yeah it's very it's very toxic too right it's a very, it's a toxic sort of mentality to go around telling other people how they should live their life it should be you know if you're going to live your life if you want to be religious you, you can be religious it's one thing to encourage someone if you believe in that but to go around like preaching lecturing people I mean, that's just like, like, like you can see the, the tone <laughs> right. of voice in this. I mean, almost like the unspoken words and the image that you have here, right? It's right, like, come right. on, like, really? <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, it's just ridiculous. I, I remember I had this T-shirt on and just to give you an anecdote, and I was walking out of um, university. Um, and as I'm walking out, these guys and officers, girls, women come to me from the morality police and he's like, why do you have the Italian flag on your back? And I'm like, what? 
this is, you have the Italian flag in the back of your T-shirt. And then I look, and it's because of the brand, like the logo <laughs> of the brand. Yeah. And they have a problem with that. So they tell me, you know, this time we let you go, but next time we will just cut this out. It's like, wow. just imagine how low the standard of conduct is. So if, if you really are willing to lower your standards by that much, of course you think that morality police is justified. Mm-hmm. Of course, you, you, you think that uh, all the truth in the world is just in one book. Why not? When you have the low of epistemic standards for your rationality, of course, you have no choice but to uh, do that and accept other things. So mm-hmm. uh, let me just mention a few other things. Um, so just some of the ridiculous things that they pick on you for them. So if, if women wear boots they will be fined and arrested. This is ridiculous, I know, but it's funny and ridiculous, so I just have to mention how ridiculous and oppressive these are. Is it is it like an official list of rules, or is it just random? Like no, they feel like? it's arbitrary. Completely arbitrary. That's even worse, because that basically gives these guys unlimited power, like a blank check to just basically, at their own discretion, right, throw people in jail, right? Right, and, and if you know anything about... You know, Iran and this and the kind of the parliamentary or the government structure and the thing is they don't have any uh, kind of matrix independence check on each other there is no other separate independent entity that is overseeing these mm. uh, wow, things that are happening awful. so yeah they have infinite control but another ridiculous thing that they pick you up on and they will arrest you for or kind of fine you or you know talk to you about this kind of is why is a woman for example wearing her sunglasses at the top of her hair instead of wearing it on her eyes i don't know why i've never understood this why this is just ridiculous just this i i've never understood this but this is just goes to show you how ridiculous some of these are and arbitrary all of these things are so what ended up happening is and by the way these are not just for women Men have these two. Like if I have a hairstyle, which oh. is considered un-Islamic or too Western, I will be arrested too. Um, so it kind, or even if you're on a date with your girlfriend in a cafe and they come um, kind of, uh, you know, patrol the areas and they police these different areas and these uh, private spaces and they ask, and if you're not related, they will arrest you. And you might receive lashes, fines. So one person removed their uh, scarf and received 24 years in prison. Just imagine that. 24 years in prison. I was going to ask these these morality police, do they, like, where are they located? Are they in all this, like, like, would you find them in big cities, small cities, like just random? Like, how is it? So they are basically in all cities, but it kind of differs um, as you kind of move to more bigger cities, you know, the so-called mega cities of Iran, like Tehran or Shiraz or Isfahan. And so some of these are really religious. Some of them are not so religious. But this is really interesting what you just said. Let me tell you that one of the most um, conservative and religious cities in Iran is the city of Qom 
which is basically like the Mecca of Shias. Now, this is to be really exaggerated, you know, um, but there's a point here. The point is to make you understand how important Qom is. It's basically the main seminary, the clerics, uh, you know, the loyalists, as it were, all are from there. So, and even in these regions, we are, we are experiencing protests against these limitations, which is really significant. So, yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous. So and what they ended up doing was again doing the wrong thing, because why do the right thing, right? So they said, you know what, we're just going to give them really heavy sentences. They will be scared and they won't do it again. But it, then it turned into a thing, actually. Like it was a trend, almost, for people to kind of talk back to the morality police, other people going to help them, you know? And then that's the time that morality police turned back into its old hardliner days, you know? Like they would engage people, beat them up, arrest them. Like it gets super violent, extremely violent. And that ended up backfiring with when Mahsa Amini died. So mm -hmm. what, what ended up happening was this girl that you can see, um, her name is Mahsa Amini. She was kind of traveling from another city to Tehran. Okay, you're just, imagine yourself, you're just going to travel to another city. And you get there and you kind of leave the subway or something. And then police comes to you and says, you have a few strands of hair out which are not covered so we will arrest you for improper hijab and we send you to re-education courses now if, if you've read anything like george orwell or uh, you know watch something like um v for vendetta you know how draconian these measures are for re-education courses it's just unbelievable and what what ended up happening was masa amini ended up dying in the custody of the morality police and everyone was super angry it was a real fury and then they did their second mistake which was like oh, oh, oh you know what we're going to release a footage of her collapsing and we will show people that we didn't do anything to her and what they ended up doing was they caught the footage uh, and they don't show the arrest and witnesses say that she was severely beaten and when she died, they tried to uh, pressure the family, you know, imprisoning arrests for them to falsify a different narrative for her death, saying that, oh, she had a heart failure, you know, so, and she had pre-existing conditions. And then the father of Mahsa uh, breaks his silence and says, there is no medical history of any sort with Mahsa, and that's just irrelevant. Uh, and they have body cams. That's important to note that they haven't released the body cams or the full footage. And so I'm going to show you the real uh, attire that she had. This was the way she was dressed when they arrested her. And they said that, you know, this is a problem for her, for example, which is weird and disappointing, right? So, uh, yeah, so what is happening right now is just let me tell you what is happening basically really quickly um so um someone is knocking at the door and you have to tell them so uh, allow me a few minutes to kind of get my thoughts together
um, and then go back. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm gonna share this super chat while I'm waiting for him. Zagros uh, Oscan, wouldn't people have to start taking government buildings, etc., to really revolutionize Iran? And is it a possibility for a non-bloody revolution? So uh, we have a super chat here. If you want to just uh, address okay, that before so, we continue. Um, okay, so this is a really controversial topic, okay? Given what ends up happening after revolutions, mm -hmm. people are kind of all over the place. Now, I can't claim to be talking about what people want in the streets. But one thing is really obvious. They just do not want the Islamic Republic regime. That's right. what they do not want. Now, some people say, and these are the really marginalized people. They are the so-called reformers. Uh, they, are they are relatively have been much more demonized and marginalized because their standards are low for reform. And they kind of are complicit in some of the things that happens to people. We have another much more popular uh, wave of disagreements and opposition. And these people are like, no, we, we have to overthrow them by whatever means necessary. We just don't care how. But And then you have other people who are like, no, we can actually uh, disengage the system and kind of devise the system from the inside. So what do I mean by that? I, well, you have 12-year-olds or 14-year-olds in the streets protesting. This this tells you how weak Islamic propaganda in, in a country like Iran is, that the 14-year-old girl, boy, kind of understands the underpinning ideology behind these. And it's like, I'm not buying this. So, and parents also teach them about, you know, the truth, what has happened, what the accurate narrative of our history is, you know. And so they kind of get desensitized to the propaganda and this means that uh, unions will engage in demonstrations, they will create pressures, you know, uh, and kind of they bring about change. Now, no one knows if this change is kind of fast and will be permanent or not, mm -hmm. or this results in something new or not. But the really important point about this is this is women are leading these protests. Like every day for the... I don't know, 14, 15 days or so that this is going on, or even more so, I, I don't know. It's just that uh, people, uh, women are at the forefront. Mm -hmm. It's just women's rights. And you don't hear, uh, you hear slogans and chants like, you know, uh, women, life, freedom, you know, or you see women walking right to the morality police and the guards with guns, and batons where they're standing and taking off her scarf and burning it. Mm. But that's really different. And they are young. Just the other day, the spokesperson of the national police, who is just this backward idiot, uh, said that the average age of people who are arrested is 15. Wow. That's in 15 years. Right. And Iran is really young. So, so let me just tell you what you can do to help, because I have to say this. Mm -hmm. So first of all, there are ongoing protests in Iran, like even in conservative cities. And then there's internet restrictions. What they are trying to do is because they have seen how Twitter, especially, and TikTok were kind of effective in getting everyone else to react. Like, you know, we had fashion brands um, 
putting out the statements. We have scientists, philosophers putting out statements in support. We have singers, celebrities, activists, and human rights organizations supporting uh, us and kind of allowing us to construct the real narrative and, and taking our voice back, as it were, from the falsified uh, megaphones uh, of the regime. So that's really important. If you can share um, uh, information about this, about what is happening in Iran on Twitter, if you can add a hashtag so you can keep these trending so it won't be out of sight, out of mind, that would help a lot. Um, because some is it's not enough. The coverage that it's getting is not enough. Like the other day, I was looking for CNN and I saw a headline that said, uh, oldest dog, Pebbles, just died. And I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So look, that's the level that we're trying to raise. We just want people to understand what is happening right now. So don't keep silent. And if you have a platform and you want us to talk about this, have me on. I'm friendly. I won't bite. <laughs> uh, we can talk about this. It helps, you know, much more people talking about this. Uh, and the final thing I want to say is because there were a lot of people claiming to be supporting these people, but it was kind of weird. They were putting out the statements saying that we are supporting these people and but we are doing this as reformers, you know, or we are putting these statements out in support of uh, Iranian women and their rights, but we are associated with this kind of interpretation of religion or this system of government. And I thought this isn't right. So we should have a statement that explicitly says, you know, regardless of your religion and your political affiliations, um, you have to note and understand that we don't want this, uh, we are not okay with this, and we are supporting the people, regardless of the religion. Um, now, it's true, someone in the comments says we have no reformers in Iran. That's what I said. That's one of the waves, um, which is correct. Um, I think that the standard for reformers is so low, so Alborz is right. That I don't know why they are called reformers. It, it reminds me of the quote by Noam Chomsky. He said, you know what, you want a good slogan, like support our troops, uh, Chomsky says. But they, it should be so good that no one in their right mind would disagree with them, and yet it's completely irrelevant and vacuous. Like support our troops, what does that even mean? Should I support the, their policy, like the strategy, bombing somewhere, killing people, not killing people? That's what I care about. And kind of the reformist tradition is the same, as people are pointing out someone in, in the comments. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not okay with reformers. So we kind of put out a statement by Iranian atheists and free thinkers, and a lot of people have joined us. Now the list is growing relatively recently. Kate Mon also joined us. Um, Yasmin Mohammed, uh, I'm sure some people know in these circles, also joined us. Um, and also uh, Paul Draper joined us. I don't know if you know Paul Draper or not, but he's a fabulous philosopher. So, and we kind of want people to understand that we are not waiting for religious people or reformers to speak on our behalf. We just want to say, forget about them. Listen to us. We're telling you what is going on. You don't need to go to Iran's media to understand what is happening. Or if you want to go, 
listen to these things too and then go over there and check and read. So anything before I finish? Yeah, I noticed you got Steven Pinker on there. He's, uh, I love his books. Yeah, right. Uh, Steven Pinker and also um, uh, Peter Ari Singer Farhead. as well, famous ethicist. Yeah, Singer, um, Pinker, and also uh, Ari Fahmed were kind of the first to join us. And Pinker kind of helped us share the statement online, uh, retweeting it, you know, helping us um, get more awareness going on about what is happening. Um, because we, yeah, we, we should be focused on people. Yeah. Uh, I don't care about your religion. Oh, God damn it. It's so hard for me to, to, to say this. But I'm being real. Forget about your religion. Forget about the fact that you're a Muslim or not. Just don't kill people. How hard is that? That's the level of a standard that we're asking people to consider. Yeah. So, and then you have features that end up on New York Times saying that, oh, all these protests are because of the financial situation of the people. And it's like, no, that's not. No, it's not. It's just false. Yeah. It's because of social freedoms women's right um, and human right basically mm -hmm. so yeah thank you so much um, abdullah for giving me the chance to talk about these things um, because i think this is really important and just to tell everyone uh, i think kind of all my links should be in the description um, thank you abdullah for doing that and i'm trying to uh, i've actually created a really recent uh, english channel uh, called by convention caller mm -hmm. which if you're into philosophy you know that this refers to lucretius's uh written work on materialism so i, I love that work so it's taken from that uh hopefully i will start you know creating proper content and so on but mostly i'm focused within the blogosphere or social media of the persian community translating you know banned books books on atheism articles and stuff like that um, yeah, so that's all. Uh, thank you so much, Abdullah. You're most welcome. So um, just to reiterate some of the things that uh, Ashkan has said, this is not an economic issue. This is actually a political issue, a freedom issue, a human rights, women's rights issue. Um, religion aside, this is, you know, us secularists, we, we're willing to work with religious people. It's not that, you know, I don't believe in religion, but I believe in freedom of choice. We had a few people um, saying, you know, ban hijab, whatever. Like, that, that's, that's like not the solution. That's more like trying to solve the root cause. It's even like, more ridiculous. It's like people coming out and saying, ISIS is the real Islam. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. It's just one Islam. There's another one, which is mellow. Ishiwashi, there's another one which is it's it's just ridiculous don't reduce the standard of discourse to that level so yeah you're right yeah exactly and uh, i do recommend everyone to check out your channel anyone that's interested in philosophy check out that channel you have another channel as well which is your persian um english uh slash right. persian um channel as well which you talk about other stuff Right. It's mostly on philosophy and philosophy of religion. So I, I typically okay. don't do things like this. And the only reason is because this is so important. Uh, I kind of had to move outside of my comfort zone. Okay. I said, you know what? Philosophy is all good and great. But how many people are going to tune in into like, <clears throat> philosophy? Um, so even that in and of itself is, has a narrow focus. So, mm -hmm. yeah, 
this this has been really great to do yeah and it's important right like it's it's something that you know constantly needs to be reminded i mean i'm just going to say that it's never enough to just we can never put down our arms our hands uh you know just we can never just accept that it's over that we've won even though in general you know dogma is dying and religion and you know the bad especially the bad parts of religion you know fundamentalism is it's on its way out of the door humanity is growing up but the problem is that there's also fundamentalism that continues to you know little pockets of it and out of nowhere it, it grows and grows and grows like in my own city that i lived in you know there was a women's school run by a dr farhat hashmi and she was encouraging women to wear niqab like to cover their face and this was in canada i mean you some muslims i knew were against it but like this is how these things happen like they're just out of nowhere so we have to constantly keep pushing back we can never take for granted that you know our freedoms are are for are here to stay um if we believe in freedom of religion and democracy and all of these things we have to constantly push our ideas and we need to show people that our ideas are better because the better ideas i think overall will always win but sometimes you know you have the fundamentalist side you know daniel pikachu came up uh, hakikaju came up in the chat you have people like this that try to package stuff <laughs> in a sort of positive oh you know this solves this issues with you know they try to make it sound like like fundamentalism which is one of the worst things ever actually solves problems for humanity <laughs> <laughs> even though it makes things much much worse right so we can't just give up and we can't just say like oh we just take for granted these guys are just weirdos nobody listens to them dude these channels these platforms mohammed hijab ali dawood these guys the the popular right and they have an influence so we need to push back constantly this has to be our jobs and so i you know i appreciate that you took the time to make this thing i've been sick last week so we you know i've been delaying getting this out there but thankfully I'm feeling a little bit better now also other things going on in my life selling a house and stuff like that is <laughs> it's overwhelming so but right. I'm glad that I made the time now with you to get this out there and guys do do share this content um not just my content but anything related to this topic let's get this you know going viral these things do have an impact they do put pressure on governments they these things do have an effect right and so this is why we do these things right it's not just for for fun right we actually things change because of social i mean i it sounds funny but social media has an impact on the world right this is why we we have to take this seriously right and and even my channel like i've i've had a huge impact in my own way the two abdullah show we've had you know so many people reach out to us because this stuff works actually right just like the fundamentalists know that we need to also use these platforms for good right we can't just right just shout out to abdullah gundal for his yes. fantastic work yes yes exactly and ali lizvi as well a good friend of mine as well we we meet regularly and uh i love his book as well and i'm glad he got a shout out from you <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay, i actually so have his book translated but it will be published later on so i don't oh. know when but it will be excellent excellent so if you need if you need anything from me or from him i'll hook you guys up <clears throat> Awesome. Connect it was you. awesome. Thank you. All right, so that's it. We're going to we're going to end there. Thanks everyone for joining and uh if you like the stream, consider joining the Patreon or if you can't leave a um donation, feel free, please do leave a comment. Let let's get this thing going uh in the algorithm so lots of people see it. Let me know what you think. Let me know 
uh, leave the hashtag on post the hashtag on Twitter as he said, Masa Amini. Right? Let's talk. Let's keep this conversation going so it doesn't fizzle out. And um, any last words, or is I'll be good? Um, no, I, I think we're good. Just um, to say that thank thank you everyone for listening and thank you for amplifying this Abdullah. I, I think this is really important. You're most welcome. Okay, everyone, have a good day, a good night. And uh, as we are seeing in the comments, as uh, Apostle Prophet says, stay away from Islam. Bye, everyone. <laughs>